it was a very stressful shoot to begin with. Um, the budget was unbelievably low at the time. And this man was, was talking like he was Spielberg and, right. and Kelly dead. He had a budget, but right. we did not. I mean, this man, this man told me he wanted me to cut down a, a street sign because it was in his way. And I was like, dude, we cannot afford that. But- you are now listening to We Are Crayons, the podcast. Conversations with Trinidad and Tobago's creative thinkers and makers. We'll delve into their processes, their struggles, and what drives them to execute continually as creative individuals. I'm your host, Danu McNichol. Do enjoy. Welcome to We Are Crayons, the podcast. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Rennie Pollen. Rennie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> no problem at all. Rennie, let's get started. Uh, can you tell me, in your own words, how would you describe yourself and the work you do as a creative individual? I suppose I can kind of go with what most people have told me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm supposed to be very free-spirited, apparently. <laughs> a little zany, and I have a lot of... Um, I've been told I'm very animated. Um, a walking cartoon character, basically. Um, so there's that. I tend to make a lot of jokes and that type of thing. So because I believe if you don't laugh, you will cry. I think that's my motto. One of my mottos. I have two for life. If you don't laugh, you'll cry. And the second one is, um, what is go Pollock and see Pollock? Mm-hmm. What is for you is for you. Mm-hmm. End of story. <laughs> yep. yep. So. You mentioned that you've been doodling since you were a child. Can you tell me what your childhood was like and how has that influenced who you are now as an adult? I can honestly say I had a pretty good childhood. Oh, yeah. I have a lot of really good memories. I mean, typical stuff, you know, you get beat, licks, and kind of thing, all that happens. Mm-hmm. But um, at the same time, I think I can say I was very fortunate to have parents that liked to go to the beach a lot, mm-hmm. travel a lot. So we spent many weekends by the beach, beach houses in Togo. And I got the privilege of going sailing on weekends sometimes. My father had a friend who had a yacht, and that was great. I was a very, very active child, riding bikes. I was a tomboy as well. So climbing trees, um, yeah, the full work, scrape up knee, bus up knee. Stitches by the time I was 12. Actually, by stitches by the time I was nine. <laughs> so I had a very fun childhood. I cannot say I didn't enjoy my childhood. Mm-hmm. When did you first realize that your creative nature was who you are? Mm. I guess probably by the time I hit high school, towards mm-hmm. the end of it, because I was just, I guess I naturally just started to veer that way. I was always very good at art, very good at literature and English language. Those are these the topics that I did extremely well and everything else wasn't so good. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I used to write a lot. I wrote a book, a 13 chapter book when I was, by the time I was nine. Um, I cannot find it. If I ever find it, I will publish it. But it's a kid's book. And so I'm hoping to, you know, trying to get back on that tip. But right. yeah, and I would illustrate. I found a series of drawings I did when I was in primary school and early um high school as well. So I could see that, you know, I was actually into stories as well, visually and in written form, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think, yes, high school definitely is where I realized it was coming out mm-hmm. and in droves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And was it something that was encouraged by your parents? No. Interestingly, my both parents are creative in their own way. My mother more so than my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother, I mean, she can draw. She does, she did artwork and she used to do a lot of floral arranging and decor and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And particularly good at it. And um, now they didn't mind me doing art in school, but when I decided I wanted to 
do art for a job mm. that became problematic they i got a lot of pressure for that my mother really um you know she tried to send me to secretarial school mm-hmm. this is way back in the early 90s mm-hmm. when those things kind of mattered i went to roitech i did all manner of business so i got a very heavy business education mm-hmm. but no matter where i ended up i always got you know pigeonholed into the creative aspect so i remember going to roitech doing the business stuff and they didn't know where to put me because they usually give us some work experience. So they put me in public relations in Royal Bank to do, to at least try and help in the marketing part right. of it. Yeah. So no matter where I went, always ended up in right. the Yeah. So yeah it's fine. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say that, that, you know, your path was clearly defined. Very much so. Yeah. And, and you had no choice. but No to choice. Work. Every time I've actually walked away from graphic work or television or anything creative, it comes right back and finds me. Mm. So tell me then, how do you describe creativity and what does it mean to you? Well, creativity for me, it comes from, it's a, it's a within thing. I mean, we are created to begin with. Some people have a belief in God, some don't. But mm-hmm. for me, I believe it comes from that because I believe we're all gifted in some way or the other. Creativity, I don't define it as just drawing because you can create anything. You can create really good accounts if mm-hmm. you want to, yep. right? So yep. I think everybody is creative in their own way mm-hmm. and um, we shouldn't really pigeonhole it as something only artistic. So it comes from within and it is that thing that drives you to make something or to to take something forward Mm -hmm. because whatever comes out of you it becomes a a tangible thing in a sense Mm -hmm. it becomes a historical thing it has so much to it Mm -hmm. and creativity for me is a great outlet i think that's the times when i feel most um zen if you want to put it that Mm -hmm. way if i'm stressed i draw and that tends to work quite well what was your first job in the creative field Oh, my first, first job. Let's go way, way, way back. Um, that would be, um, the same situation again, doing these business type of things. And my mother, once again, after now having completed Roy Tech, I think, or just before, I um, ended up in Neil and Massey Public Relations because of the one second they realized that I had a creative thing and they couldn't place me anywhere in any of the jobs. That was the only place I could go. Went in there. And then, of course, there's a lot of administration happening. But there was a little area where there was a girl who was doing graphic arts. We should be doing a residency in the U.S. And then she'd come back. I just ended up in there. And I started doing layout. My little doodles started making it to the newspaper with the advertising. And then, you know, as God would have it, I guess, she came back and she started training me. Right. So I started learning right. a lot of little things. And then I had done... A little internship at Lonsdale. And, you know, mm. like I said, these things just kept popping up. And, you know, so. Right. So at any point in time, did you get like formal training? No. Not at all. Mm-hmm. And so I'm completely self taught in everything, mm-hmm. good and bad at mm-hmm. the same time. <laughs> I totally understand that for sure. From Lonsdale, how did you continue to. Those are like little small jobs right. that really weren't necessarily meant to be. Permanent. After I did all those things, my very first job, and I had to choose between either becoming an air hostess or going okay. to AVM. Yeah, AVM. That's like a glamour job. That's real back then. That was, was the kind yeah. of thing, you know yeah. what I mean? Because this is like, wait, this would have been like, what, let's just say 1990, 1989, mm. somewhere mm. I would have just come out of school. Let's see. Yeah. So being an air hostess was a thing because you get to travel. I mean, mm. I didn't like the high heels and all that crap because that is not me. I've never been that kind of girl, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I saw a job for trainees for AVM, a brand new station that was popping up. The pay difference was massive. So back then to get $3,000 a month, I think that was the air hostess job. That right. was the, the, in, the entrance um, right. salary. That was a big deal. That was plenty of money. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And then the AVM thing was they were actually going to just train you for twelve hundred dollars a month, and that was before tax and NIS and things. So mm-hmm. I chose the um the AVM job because it just sounded like so much fun. Right. And I said, oh my. And the thing is, I was I used to have uh, an addiction to television when I was younger. They used to have to really drag me away from that TV. I do remember when I was watching TV when I was younger. I would like look at it and say, and I said it. I said one day I'm going to have my own advertising agency because I was fascinated by commercials i thought they were i thought you know shows were great but commercials even more interesting right. yeah so after that i suppose the tv thing just made sense mm-hmm. i did that so they had learned how to do camera work so that was my most formal formal training so i was being trained by dale Kola Singh and his brother and so i learned camera work and then it was kind of a bit of a free reign because the studio at the time was still in formation so we had a lot of fun doing all kinds of things so we tried out all kinds of stuff after that, I went straight to TV6. So they were looking for a graphic person at the time. And I just fell into that one. So, I mean, I guess I had innate um, creative qualities, but I didn't have the, you know, because I suppose no matter how good you are drawing and stuff, if you don't understand graphic arts, mm-hmm. I mean, as you would know, mm-hmm. it's very different. Yes. And you have to have a kind of brain for marketing and yes. for a certain, and it has to have a, you know, it has to look for what it is yeah. being made for. Mm-hmm. I luckily, the guy who was station manager at the time, Curtis St. Hill, he's now passed on, but he really trained me quite well in terms of layout for television, how that mm. works out. Because uh, he had gone to school abroad and he'd done quite a bit of stuff. He was, wasn't very creative himself, but he right. understood it. Right. Okay. That's so he interesting. Really, That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was just amazing that these people just kept plonking themselves in my life and I would learn these things. So I learned on some real old school machinery, some Silicon Valley, kind of Grass Valley right. monsters that look like big ATM machines now. And, um, <laughs> and, and then, uh, yeah, so from there you progressed into television graphics and then animation, animation editing and all that stuff. And then, of course, presenting, hosting shows, producing mm-hmm. and everything just starts to develop after that. Right, so. right. So you've continued along that journey now because earlier you alluded to just being able to do a multitude of things. Um, so can you give me like what... Are you actively involved in now? Oh, well, actually, I've gone kind of back to my mm. drawings. So, okay. so in terms of illustration, kind of trying to reawaken that, practicing it a little bit more heavily, kind of went back at it for about maybe almost two years now, and mm-hmm. I can see the difference, and I'm very glad with where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping to get back into my writing as well. And then, of course, I still do editing, and then production design is something that I do a lot of as well. That's for film. That. It's few and far between, mostly because we don't really have a lot of productions happening. And even if we do, budgets don't really cater mm-hmm. for, you know, heavy set design and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, the next thing I'm also getting into is creative consultancy. Those mm-hmm. are the things that I'm kind of currently on right now. So, so it's never a dull day. Generally, no. <laughs> Generally, no. <laughs> What's your creative process like? Well, it depends on, I guess, what the project is. Yeah. So let's just say for production design for film. That process, of course, doesn't happen until I get a script because you can't mm-hmm. do anything without a script. At that point is when you really read and then you start to, you know, pull it apart. You break down your script as per what is needed, props, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Of course, find out your budget and see exactly how much limitations you do have right. with this thing. And then you sit down and you kind of do the classic visualization, you know, mood boards and things like that. Mm-hmm. You start to pull together your images and then you have to sit with the director and try to figure out if this is a look that they want, if they can afford it to begin mm-hmm. with, all of those things. And then we proceed from there. When it comes to drawing or painting or even editing or doing like a opening sequence for a show or something like that, it kind of has almost the same type of process in a way. Just kind of stick your head in something, mm-hmm. kind of get immersed in it for about a day or two and mm-hmm. then 
you start creating after mm-hmm. that. So. Is there any time that you struggle with developing that idea and mm-hmm. how do you deal with that? There, there are times, I mean, it depends on the project too, because there's some projects that don't really have a, you know, fantastic vibe in it. Right. Make you feel like, yeah, I want to do this. Sometimes you have clients that also have, you know, very extreme stipulations about certain things. So mm-hmm. it boxes you in, in a way mm-hmm. that you can't, you know, get creative. But I don't know, I guess it's just a question of just, once again, trying to immerse yourself in something else to just at least pull it out. But there have been times I've had some horrible blocks mm. <laughs> with trying to get some stuff up because nothing is working. You start off with an idea and you, you put it into After Effects or whatever, you mm. start putting it together and it's like, ah, not working. Mm-hmm. And then it's like about three or four times. So it's mostly a kind of a try and try again when you reach that point. Having limitations put on you, do you think that you would better with open rain or do you think that some limitations helps you kind of stretch yourself a little more. Interestingly, both both are good. Open range is good, but, you know, I suppose you have to hope for yourself that you have enough of your own boundaries to put down because mm-hmm. you can't allow yourself to go crazy and you have to be able to step outside of yourself when you're doing stuff, especially on your own. And I think that's a skill a lot of people don't have. I'm not saying I'm the best at it because obviously we all get caught up in our own work at some point and, you know, you can fall in love with an image mm-hmm. and it can screw up your whole thing and kill you dead. It's the most hot thing, but you just focus on this one image and everything looking like crap but (laughs) but um but i think yeah you have to be able to step outside of yourself with that limitations limiting yes but at the Mm -hmm. same time i think trinidadians are particularly good with that and i think so when you have limitations that's when in in a way you're kind of forced to really create at this point because Mm -hmm. you have to now create within this boundary and, and get something out that works and i suppose the only times things have haven't come out the way that i liked or you know clients might like it but it's because my heart isn't totally into it. You're mentioning that your heart not being in a particular project. Do you find yourself in a position where that hampers your ability to actually deliver how you want to deliver? Well, I think the minute your heart is really not in something, it becomes exponentially harder. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So at that point, you're just you're really pushing it out because you have to. And you can change your mindset. It's, about, it's an attitude change at that point. You have to really push yourself um, with your own attitude because, as you know, if, you, if, if, if I were to continue, let's just say, doing a job that I wasn't feeling, if I start to murmur and grumble about it, it becomes even harder. Mm-hmm. And the more complaining, it gets worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I have to be very wary of that. So like, if I'm not really feeling it, I have to be wary of not adding to my own situation right i always can look at my work and i know when i'm not feeling it right you know so right. but like i said for the client if once the client is happy at the end right. of it that, yeah. that's, that's fine, that's fine. Right? can you tell me how do you evaluate your work meaning that at what point do you say this is good there are a million things that will of course dictate that mm-hmm. you know of course client we want such and such and if you hit all marks and they're happy it, mm-hmm. um for me it's a, I guess it's a, that's a bit tough to actually find because I don't have anything to pinpoint and say, well, this is what I look for. It's, you, you get kind of know in your gut, I suppose. And then I think no matter what you do, especially if you like it, you'll find that you want to keep working on it <laughs> mm-hmm. and you always find there's something wrong with it. So most times that's a good indication for me, actually, when I, if I keep thinking about it a lot that, oh, I got to fix this, I got to fix this, right. I got to fix this. So in evaluating my own work, yeah, just, you know, you make sure that at least you get as much um, outside opinion as you can. But I think once again, I'll go back to that point where you have to learn that skill of stepping outside of yourself. And you have to know that, yes, I've done this thing. It might look great, but you know what? I know that shot or I know that little piece of whatever graphic I did 
while it may look really good, it is not working. What I do is I'll walk away from my work for sure. And I give myself some time to kind of just allow it to go away. My put my brain on something else. I might go watch a movie or kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Just to totally change my mindset and then come back to it. And then when you come back fresh, more than like the same thing that you thought shouldn't be there, shouldn't be there. To this point, Rennie, what, if any, has been the most significant sacrifice would you say you've made for your craft? Wow. Sacrifices in general have been made overall. Doing films, the films that I've done, sacrificing the money, yeah, because mm-hmm. most times the films that I've done, I paid for all of it by myself. Right. So I got no real help at all, mm-hmm. even though, you know, you went to the various places. I think the most we got for one of the films that I did was three hundred dollars from mm-hmm. a bank. I'm not gonna name the bank, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, and that was it. So the rest mm-hmm. of it, I think, was about ten thousand dollars I put out for myself. Previous film before that, about eight thousand dollars. I mean, I had to pay for all the actors, everything, and then most of the stuff I was doing was with students, so they couldn't pay for anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. so it's pretty much yeah, becoming out of pocket for the things that you have vision for. I think that's yeah. about it. And was the fulfillment of having that thing done with you coming out of pocket for me it was at the time um i mean i'm still right now i mean i still want to do films it's money is usually what's holding me back most of the time because the kind of things i want to do i really need to get some good money for that it's worth it and i think well it, it turned out to be worth it because the films that i did put out for all of them they actually won awards so it was great mm-hmm. and i hadn't you know i think that in itself was validating too how do you deal with rejection Sounds like you have to take it. That's all. Um, <laughs> you can't. Um, I mean, you can't fight something if you, especially if you're a client and you present something and they they don't like it. You, the, what can you do? Mm-hmm. You know, you can't. I mean, you could. Yeah, you could run around. You could cry. I mean, <laughs> you could do whatever you want, but it still doesn't change the fact that this is not what they want. Mm-hmm. So you have to develop a little bit of a thick skin and not feel offended mm-hmm. that somebody doesn't like what you did. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of young when you're younger, you will get upset. I think mm-hmm. and that's just experience, but um. Rejection is important. I think you need it because mm-hmm. it also grows you. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you, you do something, just like we were talking earlier, and we think is the, it's the mm-hmm. bee's knees, man. Mm-hmm. You got to have this in the client. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, mm-hmm. you just had to handle it. Uh, and you just well, just chuck it and say, well, the next client, maybe. You know? right. <laughs> Has that ever put you in the place where you like, started to doubt what you were doing? Well, yeah, I've had so many experiences with rejection, and, and but on different types of levels. Right. Are you talking about this job you did in graphic work? Well, we didn't like this layout. I think the hardest one, mm-hmm. one of the hardest ones, and this is when I first started doing production design. My very, very first production design job I did with Lisa Wickham, and it was for MTV, mm-hmm. UNICEF, and we had a Jamaican director very good director but he's very passionate as they all are mm-hmm. and um but he was also incredibly vocal and he'd be loud and thing and um we had a a scene it was outside an outdoor type of scene it was supposed to be sort of a like a radio station that was doing a giveaway type thing a sort of a blood donation drive or whatever right. right it was a very stressful shoot to begin with um the budget was unbelievably low at the time and this man was was talking like he was Spielberg and right. and Kelly dead. He had a budget, but right. we did not. I mean, this man, this man told me he wanted me to cut down a, a street sign because it was in his way. And I was like, dude, we cannot afford that. Right. So we can't even afford the thing to cut the thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, <laughs> and so even so, long story short, I started trying to put together something to make it look like there was a bit of a something happening outside the station. But he hadn't been giving me, I guess, the kind of direction. And worse yet, I was very new at it too. Right. So it turned into a bit of a, 
bad communication. And so me putting up stuff, I was already very tired at the time. I must have had about an hour and a half sleep mm. <laughs> after a series of hour and a half sleeps mm-hmm. over seven days or so. And I'm putting it up and he came on set. So he would have come on set about maybe two hours after call time. And he saw it and then he starts to freak out. I'm the mm. one friends in the only road. Don't drag road. Mm-hmm. Like, real people. Because <laughs> so, mm-hmm. all the extras came because they were supposed to make it look like, you know, people mm-hmm. and whatever. And this man just proceeded to rip everything down mm. and cuss him. I tell you, that's yeah, a thing. And I mean, trust me, you don't want to hear that language. Mm-hmm. And he's ripping like stuff I've put off and throwing it. And this is in front of everybody. Mm. And, you know, I think everything that could have been stressful was happening at that mm-hmm. time. And I just had to kind of deal with it. And I watched him do all of it, mash up everything. He mashed up everything. And um, I just said, okay. And I just turned around, I walked and I walked around the building and I completely broke down. Mm-hmm. I I cried. I cried for a good 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then I just kind of shook it off and stepped back. Mm-hmm. But that's just how it goes. And that's one of several. I've had a couple well, some very tough, tough ones. It was tough, but I think from that point in time, I did feel a hundred times stronger after that. Right, so. yeah. And yeah. then you learn to open your mouth a little more after right. that too. So, <laughs> And contrasting to that, is there any piece of work that you feel really proud about? There's a couple things. I think, let's see, my first little documentary thing that I put out, it had won a People's Choice Award. It was so cute. <laughs> um, you know, it was about, you know, just Trin- how Trinidadians give directions. And right. I think it still, it still stands up. Even, you know, today people still find it very funny, but mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun doing that. For me, I was very proud to even think that people liked it. I still enjoy watching it. Mm-hmm. It still makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. Where can we find it? Think, well, right now, Caribbean Tales kind of owns it. So right. I can okay. gotcha. apparent it. You know, I do have uh, some clips on right. them if you want to check okay. it out. Um, then there's Quiet Desperation, the second or third film I did. For me, that one, it may not be so great to everybody else, but I think for me, it was important because I... I'd had a bit of a kernel, kernel of an idea, which I developed into a script and eventually saw it from full idea to, mm. to actually having completed it. And it was extremely tough, but I learned so much. And I think having been director on that too, and I felt like I had such a privilege to actually even be in charge of all these people. It was, it was incredibly humbling because, you know, you kind of have this concept that maybe as a director, yeah, swanky, you come on set, right, yeah. uh, here's the thing, right? But, uh, <laughs> but really and truly... When you realize you have all these people who have all these questions for all the time and you have to make decisions and, you, you know, and it's humbling. And, and I think you realize just how, how big that job really is. Right. And it's not about, it's not a glamorous thing at all. It really mm-hmm. is. You have a story you're trying to tell and you're really trying to get all these moving parts to yeah. kind of work together. So yeah. for me, that stands as something very important for me. And then secondly, that coffee shop, mm-hmm. because that was also an extremely labor of love and it, 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 did way better than I thought it was going to mm. do. And then, yeah, for me, I think, yeah, actually, I think the table, the coffee shop trumps everything. Think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have an ultimate creative goal? Mm. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, dreams, big, big dreams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I really would love to work with a really big Hollywood director. That's mm-hmm. one thing I want to do. I want to understudy one. And I also want to be able to direct a film. It doesn't have to be something I wrote either, but I would love, love the privilege of being able to, to direct something. And, I, and that does not come from a place of, you know, of a glamorous concept mm-hmm. of being director. I really love this craft. I, mm-hmm. I do. I love film. I really, I can sit down and watch films over and over, break it down, whatever. But, you know, it's just not an opportunity that, that has presented itself. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's 
going to, but mm-hmm. that would be a, that's a big dream for me. That, and of course, writing a book. Right. Well, at least completing one, let's just put it that right. way. Completing one. Completing one. <laughs> what advice if someone came up to you and say, Rene, contemplating, expressing myself in, in a creative way and give me some advice. You have to just remember, well, forget glamour. Mm-hmm. Do not get caught up in that. Because <laughs> it's not about that. You have to love it. And I would tell anybody that you'd have to love it, even if it comes to film, all of those things. Because yes, we can look at a behind the scenes on any cable shoot, whatever, and it looks great. But the hours are grueling. It is hard. You get sometimes you get into terrible um, quarrels with people. There are sometimes terrible people on set that make life real hard for you. It's it's a lot and it's a labor of love and you have to love it. So if you don't have that initial love, you're not gonna you're probably not gonna make it to the finish line with that. And that goes for even a graphic artist as well, because you can be given you know, a simple poster to do if you want. And mm. if it is that you not loving it, even though let's just say you're getting paid or you're getting halfway paid for it, if you have a client that's making a truckload of changes on you and rejecting all of your ideas mm. and all of those things. You have to have enough love for it to push through that, not be offended, not get all these things to, you know, derail you from where you're going. So yeah, it's about focus and loving it and having a little passion for it. I would definitely say don't ever enter anything unless you have at least a little bit of a passion for it Mm -hmm. because you'll find yourself hating it (laughs) and hating yourself for putting yourself through it too. (laughs) What do you think you'd like to be most remembered for? Wow, that is a big question. Um, telling good jokes, I guess. <laughs> Making people laugh. I like making people laugh. I do enjoy that above everything else. And I guess it comes through all the other work that I do. I tend to do little comic-y things sometimes. But I, I love people. And I really do. Even the unlovable ones. And sometimes they're hard to love. But if I can make you laugh, that is the best mm-hmm. thing. in the world. I really enjoy seeing people look happy, be happy. And yeah, if I can do it, better yet. <laughs> that brings us close to the end. But before we wrap up, Rene, can you tell our audience, listeners, where they could find you online? Okay, you can find me on Instagram. That's where I tend to play the most. Um, Ren Polony, that's Instagram. R-E-N-P-O-L-L-O-N-A-I-S. Um, I am on Facebook, Rene Polony Street. No, no way to handle and uh, I do have a channel on Vimeo. Um, you can just pretty much look for Vimeo, Renee Pauline, once again. Other than that, not much more. I don't have a lot of, I don't have a heavy, heavy social media presence at this point. But Instagram is the area that I tend to dig up in the most. So you'll find the stories, everything else. And yeah. so Instagram for me is just a little easier. It's cleaner. It's a little less hassle. So. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> Well, Renny, thank you very much for taking the time. Dina. Really appreciate <laughs> that. And for you guys out there wanting to see more Renee's work, keep up with her. We'll put all her social links in the show notes that lives on a big box of crayons.com. I am Renee Polony, and in a big box of crayons, I would be Sunset Orange. Please share this episode with anyone who would find it valuable. Subscribe to get new episodes on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review and a rating. It will help us find other listeners just like you. The show is also available on Stitcher or the podcast app of your choice. Find show notes and additional content on abigboxofcrayons.com. Follow us on Instagram at abigboxofcrayons. Send us feedback to 
info at abigboxofcrayons.com. We Are Crayons, the podcast, is a production of A Big Box of Crayons. All rights reserved. Until next time, friends, remember, we are all the same in the fact that we'll never be the same. Stay colorful, and thank you for listening.